welcome back to Cracking Hacktivism. I'm Christine. I'm Luke. I'm Alex. I'm Michael. I'm Ibrahim. And I'm Anthony. So today we're going to get started with defining hacktivism again. Tech Target defines hacktivism as hacking or breaking into a computer system for a politically or socially motivated purpose. Anybody who actually performs an act of hacktivism is referred to as a hacktivist. So what's the difference between hacking and hacktivism? So not all hacking is hacktivism, but all hacktivism is hacking. What's the difference between them two then? Hacktivists usually have good intentions depending on viewpoints of other people, and malicious hackers do it for malicious reasons. I think it's all subjective. What uh, you think is a noble cause, others might think it's a, just a harmful hack. So basically there are consequences of hacking and hacktivism that could be for either side depending on your viewpoint. There are obviously negative outcomes that could happen, positive outcomes, but it could be a little bit of both depending on how you're looking at it, right? I can see that. So what do you guys think are some negative outcomes of hacktivism? Um, one of them would be uh, collateral damage. An example of this from PCRL.com was the Bay Area Rapid Transit Police Activity Protest in San Francisco. Activists leaked 2,000 innocent riders' information in a data dump while trying to release the information of 102 police officers, released innocent people's information. So basically this was all collateral damage because not only were these hacktivists going after the police officers, but they ended up releasing all this personal information of these innocent riders who had nothing to do with the protest. So collateral damage can really affect anyone who's involved in this hacktivist attack, even if they had nothing to do with what the hackers were going after anyway. So think about it this way. A hacker is trying to bring down a hacker and he brings down all the civilians with him. And because a lot of this is really abstract topic, to kind of look at it as a real world example, if a hacktivist is going after the image of a company or trying to destroy their reputation, the collateral damage would be if they ruin production or something on down the road that then impacts all these distributors, all these consumers, and everybody that they weren't trying to impact to begin with. And so it's really all this damage going on that they weren't going for. And it could be looked at in two ways. That could be the negative part of hacktivism, but the original destruction of their reputation could be a positive outcome. Yeah, we're going to talk about economic damage that hacktivism causes. A guy named George Hotz tried reverse engineering the Sony PlayStation firmware to be able to tamper with the data and customize whatever he wants. But what actually happened was he exposed many different accounts to the world. The public had access to all this sensitive data, including names, email addresses, and credit card information. So after discussing all these negative outcomes, there are actually quite a few positive outcomes that could occur also, which is a big part of hacktivism because it's a vigilantism, so they think they're doing it for the good of whoever. One example is transparency, and these hacktivists want to be able to provide the information to the public a governing entity wouldn't normally want them to see. So whether this is good or bad really depends on point of view. So clearly the hackers think they're acting in the best interest of the people. And this is part of the sense-making communication theory that we actually discussed in our class, IST 431. So they're providing the information to the people that they wouldn't normally have. Evidence of the case to the public that they were not actually allowed access to. So one side might look at it as breaching what people should be able to see, and these people weren't supposed to see this evidence. However, another side would be looking at it as these people had the right to see this information, especially if they were trying to decide on which side to side with, they really should have had all the evidence that was available to them. Another example is the Edward Snowden case. Whether you think he's a traitor or a whistleblower, he did expose some information that we that remained in the dark for a long time about the government. 
So I think this really brings into focus how much of a double-edged sword hacktivism really is. One example of the double-edged sword theory or way to look at it is the Ashley Madison case. I don't know if we can say that because the hackers, like the hacktivists, they targeted all the people. It wasn't like collateral damage. Like they no, wanted I'm to bring the people down too. Right. Which so I think it's a it good collateral? thing that they wanted. Well, no, no, no. It's not collateral. It's a double-edged double sword. sword. Because it's a good okay. thing because it revealed, like, it exposed these cheaters, but it's also a bad thing because it kind of, like, messed up their lives and well, everything. I mean, isn't that what the hacktivists were going for? Like, Yeah, but that's why it's a double, like, you can look at it as, oh, God, they had no part. Like, that is not their business. They needed to stay out okay, of that. Why okay. would they go in and ruin these people's lives? But then there's me looking at it like, oh, well, if I was one of these people, I would want to know. And keeping in line with that double-edged sword idea that we're talking about, there's a topic that's been in the news recently, and that's Hillary Clinton's private email server. Whether or not you think this is an important issue or not, it does pose a big security threat in that if hacktivists were to target this to try to dump the emails on her server, we don't know whether the emails are personal in nature between her and friends or her and her husband or her and somebody who she needs confidentiality with or whether the emails that come out are going to be political in nature, um, such as troop locations or special operations that pose a huge threat to the safety of the people in those operations. I'd keep my eye on the news in the next couple of weeks, seeing as it's likely that her server is going to have several attempts to be hacked, whether by a malicious organization or by a hacktivist is unknown, but the likelihood is definitely there. Okay, so in talking about some of these hacktivist acts, we mentioned a couple of the organizations that performed the actions. So we're going to change gears a little bit and move on to focus on these organizations in a little more detail. Uh, the first organization we're going to talk about is called Anonymous. This organization takes credit for a lot of actions, a lot of hacktivist acts throughout the country and throughout the years. You have been warned. We are Anonymous. We are Legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. I don't know about you guys, but every time I hear that, that sends chills up my spine. Especially because it's associated with the fact that something just went down and Anonymous is really on the topic now. Knowing their history, you know that something's going to happen. It impacts their life or anyone around them. I just feel like when I hear that, I go, oh crap, somebody just lost control and something's getting released right now and it's either really good for the community or it could be really bad. Check the news. <laughs> <laughs> and looking at some of the hacks that Anonymous has claimed that they've taken part in, the most recent one being the attack on ISIS. They actually launched Operation ISIS, I believe it's called which is where they're trying to target their social media presence, specifically Twitter and their Facebook accounts, in an attempt to prevent them from recruiting anymore. The most dangerous thing that's been happening with ISIS is that it's been so easy for them to recruit people from all over the world because they have access to tools like tweets and Facebook posts, where it's really easy for them to get content out to people. So Anonymous has stepped in and said, we're not gonna let you do this anymore. We're coming to stop you, you've gone too far. This came out specifically right after the Paris attacks, and it's still developing as we record this. Well, it's also become a big issue that ISIS has started using these social media sites to communicate with their own because uh, government entities won't really regulate that as much as they would to look for uh, communication in other sources and such. So anonymous shutting down these social media sites for ISIS is really helping to 
cut them off at the legs. And it goes beyond that too, because ISIS has been using uh, encrypted sources. Like I know the PlayStation Network is one of the things that they've been using of all things. Um, and it's encrypted. The government can't get access to it. So this encryption has created an even bigger issue. And it's maybe that's why this is so important that Anonymous actually is the one to go through and try to stop this because they can do a total shutdown, whereas governments don't have the power to do that. But being a vigilante, they have the ability to do so. Okay, so a little less recently, actually it was last year, 2015, Anonymous decided to go after Westboro Baptist Church when Westboro Baptist Church threatened to picket a couple funerals down in Charleston after the Charleston shootings. One quote from Anonymous to the people of Charleston said, We ask that you put these hateful people from your mind entirely. Anonymous has this for you. We know how to deal with these animals and we'll do so. Forget them. Let us handle this for you as a gift of condolence to, for your unspeakable loss. So this was a quote from Anonymous to the people of Charleston about Westboro Baptist Church. And in response, Anonymous did several things such as taking over their Facebook page and posting offensive images, or at least what the Westboro Baptist Church would find offensive, um, regarding gay communities and um, wars that they don't support and the like like that. It's their way of attacking them in saying that they support these things and they have no control over what their Facebook says for the next 24 or 48 hours, however long it takes them to realize that it's happening. Yeah, they not only took control of as much as they could of Westboro Baptist Church social media and such, but a final warning that was issued from Anonymous to Westboro Baptist Church specifically said, We are coming for you. We will defeat you just as we always have. Your best bet is to stop this foolishness at once. We know you will not, so you can effing expect us. I think it's important to note that they've attacked the WBC several times in the past. This isn't the first event. It's happened years on. Oh, no, I remember it happening uh, probably at least four or five years ago, and it keeps cropping up every time Westbury Baptist Church decides to pick at something else. Right, and I think that some people could say that they shouldn't be doing this because freedom of speech, the WBC has a right to say the things that they're saying, but then a bulk majority of the population probably sides with them and says, yeah, this is that what they're doing is bad. It's especially wrong. because it affects so many people emotionally, yeah. especially with the Charleston shootings and picketing the veterans or um, the armed force funerals. It really hits home with a lot of people. And the majority of people really would side with anonymous. I think in most situations, anonymous asks the question is what the WBC is doing is what they're doing respectful. And if it's not, then they step in. If it is, then they try to stay out of their way. And I think that's how they really justify what they do. Right, in most cases. So although Anonymous is really the most well-known hacktivist group out there, there are a bunch of other ones that we haven't really mentioned yet. So there's APT28, which is Apartment 28, Lizard Squad, Chaos Computer Club, and Impact Team, which we mentioned a little bit earlier with the Ashley Madison case. However, it's a little hard to link these groups to their hacktivist acts. They don't always like to own up to what they do, and the few times that they do, it may not be that the leader of the organization, if there even is one, wanted to own up to it, but that a a lower down in the organization wanted to. So basically anybody could take credit for any of the hacktivist acts because it's so hard to prove. Right. And they all have their own agendas. It's not really well known in most cases what their agendas are. Um, Anonymous makes theirs pretty widespread. They're very public about what they do. But in most cases, 
they like to remain secretive because that's how they avoid getting caught. So there are actually some groups out there uh, that focus on a specific subject that could focus on, what was it, video gaming? Yeah, Lizard Squad in particular does video games a lot. So some of these other groups, though we might not know exactly what they've performed, they might just be in different subject areas as opposed to video gaming or social outcry and social... Yeah, social justice. I think talking about some of these organizations, it's pretty hard to talk about their processes and things like that because, like we said, they they don't like to make this stuff public. Anonymous has put out a few videos about how to join them, and it's as simple as masking your IP and making some anonymous accounts and then starting to post for them or do things in their name. As Whereas some other groups might, might actually have a much more rig rigorous approach to join the group, such as hacking that specific group's mainframe in particularly, in yeah. particular, and then having them find you. And there's there's no way, I mean, it's tough to even speculate on what that is because in order to join the group, you would have to do it. It's not like they tell you how to do it. You just have to figure it out on your own. So it, it becomes pretty difficult to figure out exactly how these different groups operate. And because they are very secretive, there's very uh, little known about either their, if there's a structure inside the group or what, what the recruitment process is. So today was just about trying to give you some background on the hacktivist culture and the organizations that take part in the activities. And next time in our podcast, we're going to try to gauge some public opinion about the topic and whether people support hacker vigilantism or whether they don't. And maybe bring in some professional opinion from the uh, cybersecurity industry to let you see what they're doing to prevent this or to combat it in general. See you next time on Cracking Hacktivism. Thank you.